Hi everyone. Hi Tanika. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Drama. Hi everyone. We just want to say thank you for coming back week after week. We truly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, liking, and subscribing, and sharing. All right, so today we have a really special episode, and we want to just jump right in. Marianne, what's going on in your life? What's your drama today? My drama today is women's health. So I have some questions, and I know um, that it's a controversial area. Some people call it the Susie. Some people call it the Coochie. The scientific name is the vagina. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the vagina, and we have Dr. Tani Danister with us today. I'm going to read you her bio really quickly. Dr. Danister provides cutting-edge and evidence-based obstetrics and gynecologic care in South Florida. She is passionate about educating women about their health. Her specialties include general high-risk obstetrics and gynecologic services, including adolescent gynecology, contraception management, saline infusion sonogram, minimally invasive surgeries, including da Vinci procedures, sterilization, endometriosis management, Nexplanon, IUD, urinary incontinence, menopause management, preventative medicine for women's health, and much more. Dr. Danister completed her undergraduate degree with honors at the University of Florida. She earned her medical degree from the University of Florida Medical School and completed her residency training in obstetrics and gynecology gynecology, sorry, at St. Vincent Women's Hospital in Indianapolis. Welcome, Dr. Danister. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry about my, my throat, but it's going to be a fun night. I can feel it already. It's going to be a Thank fun you so fun much. Night. We really appreciate that you're here. Welcome. We're so excited to have you, and um, we received a ton of questions from our listeners, okay? Some are basic, regular questions, and some are a bit interesting um, things that I think that most people are kind of uh, embarrassed to ask for themselves. So they sent it through us and we're going to dig right in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start off slow though. All right. The first question is how often should I visit the gynecologist and what exams should I have regularly? Correct. So whenever we do something, we go by evidence, right? So the Association of OBGYN and Gynecologists, called ACOG, usually recommends that you visit your OBGYN on a yearly basis. Um, we can start seeing young women as early as 13 to 15 years old for their first visit. But after age 21, we can usually see you on a yearly basis. That does not mean that we have to do a pelvic exam necessarily or pap smear, but there's so much going on in the woman's health that we need to discuss. You know, your menstrual cycle, like, you know, vaginal odor, things that you feel, breast exam. And um, also we do, based on your risk factors, for example, if a patient has obesity, heavy period, we sometimes check for anemia or we sometimes check for diabetes screening based on the family history. So there's different things going on based on the patient history or whatever else is happening. But you should see your OBGYN yearly. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Should I shave or wax before my gynecologist visit? Is that healthy or okay at any time? And which is better? And does it matter if I'm on my period when I visit my gynecologist? I also always wonder, does my gynecologist know if I had sex before my appointment? <laughs> okay, I'm about to be blunt because 
Your OBGYN doesn't care about how your vagina look. But it's just common woman etiquette to look clean. Okay. And be proper, right? We see, I see over 30 vaginas a day. Do I remember what they look like? No. Unless they're diseased. <laughs> right? So um, shaving, waxing, it's a personal thing. It's a personal etiquette. You don't have to do none of it. But I think you should be clean for your own comfort. If you prefer shaving, you should. If you prefer waxing, you should. But some women have very sensitive skin. So don't do stuff just for your OBGYN. We only see it once a year. Don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> I do not know if you have sex or not. I will never tell you not to have sex. Do whatever you need to do. We'll deal with it when we see you. Sometimes in the pap smear, or if we do... We look at anything under the microscope, we can't see sperm, but come on. We're OBGYN. Sex is part of what we talk about every day. Don't worry about it. Now, for your period, um, frog pap smear, we prefer you to not be on your heavy days because then that can affect the cells of the pap, for the pap test. But do not, if you have an issue sometimes, unless the, the doctor doesn't want to see you on, the, on your period for a pap smear, don't cancel your appointment, you know? Especially if it's not too heavy. But we don't care about how your vagina looks. <laughs> so, very good to know. Okay, what advice would you give moms of young girls? When is the right time to introduce them to any type of preventive care, preventative care or vaginal maintenance of me? So... I mean, I'm, I'm from the island. So I think as soon as you can take care of yourself, I think that would be the best time to start because you always want to build good habits, right? But most women have their periods starting age nine. So once she starts having a period, you know, her body odor, everything changes. So it's important to teach her how to take care of it. So that's what I would usually say, as early as possible. Perfect. So as early as possible, so like age nine, you think, once they get their period, it, it would be I, recommended I to... I think so, especially if they understand, because girl, we tend to be, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything about men, but we tend to be more aware of our, of our body kind of earlier sometimes, you know? Um, so if she understands what it is, like her vagina, she should know how to clean it, right? Um, and, and so forth, and so on, and so, uh, and, and so forth. Like I talked about, you know, you can... They can visit the OBGYN as early as 13. If they're not sexually active, we don't necessarily do a pelvic exam, but it's mostly to talk about reproductive health, you know, um, sexually transmitted disease prevention and all those different things. Because believe it or not, young girls have sex earlier and earlier as years go by. Yeah, it is. Uh, no, thank you. I prefer no. not to believe that. I know. <laughs> I'll just ignore it and let her know to go to the gynecologist at age 25. <laughs> it's probably not helpful. It's probably not recommended. Okay. So here's my next question. Is there a normal vaginal odor? How much odor is normal and how can I avo avoid it? And when should yeah. I be concerned about vaginal odor? Yeah, this is a hard question, right? Because, um, I mean, everybody has different level of smell, right? So, and we have our body odor, right? But um, you should not be smelling yourself. If you, if you leave your underwear somewhere, you should not be smelling it, right? Because that's not normal. 
Um, any fishy odor is not normal. If you have any rotten smell, that's not normal. But we have, especially when we're ovulating, our odor tends to be so much stronger. And it may have that funny, weird smell that doesn't go away, but doesn't smell bad, you know? So you should not be able to smell your penny if you leave it by the door and you're in a room, you should not smell it. But if you're getting really close to it, you'll smell something, which is normal, right? Um, so no rotten smell, no fishy smell, that's not normal. Sometimes there's a metallic smell, you know, it's sometimes not normal, but there's an odor and everybody has a different odor. Especially like if you just cleaned yourself, right? I would think because like your smell varies throughout the day and after a long day, you can get pretty smelly. But if you're just coming out of cleaning yourself and you can still smell, um, yeah, I would say, what, what do you recommend? Go go to your doctor, go get checked out. Because everything is so different. So it's easier to talk about it on a patient-patient basis. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, so our next question is, so you see all of these different cleansing products on TV is so many different things. And, you know, I think as we've evolved, no one, I don't think many people are using like um, anything inserted to clean because that's not healthy. Right. But what about all these other soaps and deodorants and, you know, there's one, I don't think we can say the name on our show, but you know, it's like a natural deodorant. You're supposed mm-hmm. to put it anywhere in your body. What mm-hmm. about those things? What should we yeah be doing if anything so the vagina cleans itself by itself (laughs) that's where you get discharged right so technically you do not need anything but water technically right but women have preferences and you know that's why the hair industry has so much products right we all have different hair you know and people have different needs different wants right so I will always limit it to something very gentle if people want to use any kind of soap or any kind of anything else. And you should use it less frequently because anything like that will kill the microbiome of your vagina and sometimes put you at risk of infections like bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections. So you have to be very careful. But just water is usually recommended. But coming from the island, I cannot wash with water. I need something else, you know? So you use whatever you have to, but be careful because you can change the environment of your vagina by using too many harsh ingredients. Very good. Thank you. I definitely have a three wash rule. You got to wash at least three times to make sure that that area is clean. And sometimes I lose count and just keep washing because (laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed. Okay, next question is, I get yeast infections about once a year or or once every two years. But when I get one, I can't really pinpoint why I got it. And it takes several treatments to get rid of it. Why am I so prone to yeast infections? And why do I need extra powerful antibiotics? Once a year, things happen, right? Because changing your diet, more carbohydrate can change the environment of your vagina. Because women forget our vagina has a microbiome, a ton of bacteria that keeps it healthy. Any imbalance in that can cause, like, because the yeast um, bacteria is in your vagina, but it's at a very low level. Like the bacteriovaginosis bacteria, it's also in your vagina, but it's at a very low level. Any imbalance creates an overgrowth, and that's why you end up getting an infection, right? So once a year, I mean, you are very lucky. You know, if you get a yeast infection once a year, it's not a big deal per se. Um, But sometimes you get to the point where, 
if you, your diet is different, you know, for example, women that have diabetes or higher risk of yeast infection because they have too much sugar in their system, right? Or for example, if you were sexually active and you didn't take care of yourself properly, you know, because sex is trauma, causes irritation, can cause a, a shift in the balance of the pH of the vagina, which can cause a yeast infection. So sometimes you may have antibiotics, but most women, if you, you know, do all those different things, take a probiotic, usually it gets better. And I also so, wonder about your partner not being clean because a woman's mm -hmm. vagina is all internal, but a partner, it's all external. And I, I wonder, you know, how um, strict we should be about cleanliness when it comes to our vaginas and guests. Yes. I mean, <laughs> your guests should be clean, you know, because whatever they have, whatever they do will affect you. I would affect you. I'm not against any uncircumcision or uncircumcised men or anything like that, but if they don't clean properly, that area may have more bacteria that can affect women more, you know? So they should be clean, like you are clean. Yeah. So a quick little follow-up. I think, did I hear you correctly? You said sex is trauma? I think so, because it irritates your vagina. <laughs> Right. And if you're not taking care of yourself properly. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. Come on. Like, you know, it's like it's it no matter how fun and great it is, but it's irritation. Right. In a sense. Yep. Right. And some women have after sex may have a bladder infection. Not a lot of women. Right. But after sex may be prone to more infection. Right. A lot of people come to me and say, I never had sex and I was fine. Now I'm having sex in vagina. It's funny. Dope. <laughs> because you're there's something different happening there's something different you know going on so things will change not okay. trauma in a bad way but you see where i'm coming from it's irritation it changes the environment in a sense oh no i didn't mean that just to be really really clear i'm certainly not joking or anything about anything that's really traumatic that happens to a woman's yeah. vagina i am however adding up my excuses for my husband if necessary. <laughs> I was ready to make a t-shirt. Like <laughs> <That's right. laughs> But you know, it, it, it causes more irritation sometimes in, in some people, you know. So um so our next question is I'll leave that alone. But um vaginal discharge, you mentioned it a little bit. Is there anything that is something that would warrant you going to the doctor. What is abnormal? Normal, right. So a lot of women are always concerned about yellow discharge. Yellow discharge is quite normal because it depends on when you're in your cycle. Sometimes when you're ovulating, it may be clear. And as you're getting close to your period, it may be a little bit thicker, a little bit more yellow. That's very normal. Any green discharge is not normal, you know? Sometimes some women have a lot of frothy, watery discharge. That's not normal either. Um, anything that you, you know, that's out of your ordinary, because unfortunately we don't, we don't teach young women how their body should be like, you know, how you need to be more conscious that your body changes throughout the cycle. Um, but anything that's out of the ordinary for you tend to not be normal. Okay. So this is, I think a really, really good question that a lot of women wonder about. Mm -hmm. My vagina is rather bumpy and asymmetrical. How do I know what normal bumps are and when should I be concerned? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you should always go to the doctor if you have a question, but no vagina is perfectly symmetrical. 
This is only in textbook with artists drawing it. Every woman's vagina, like, like when you look at a woman's body part, the right is different from the left. Like that's all of us, right? Even my face, right? That part of my face is wider than that part. That's normal, right? So it's the same thing for the vagina. Um, bumpy is not normal unless somebody told you it's normal. Sometimes some women have a lot of, you know, um, small bun. It's called vestibular papillomatosis, which is a mouthful to just say they just get a bunch of tiny bump. That's what they were born with, you know? But a professional has to look at it to make sure it's okay. If you have a bump that wasn't there, you need to be seen. Sometimes those bumps can be precancer. They need to be examined. And sometimes they may be an infection. They need to be examined. Okay. Do you think that like a doctor can overlook those bumps and you need to be very specific when you go to the doctor about what you're seeing or... Um, you know, like ask questions because I feel like a lot of women go to the gynecologist and they just want to get it over with and they don't necessarily mm-hmm. ask questions or kind of pinpoint like, you know, I'm noticing this or I'm noticing my body changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might yeah. be overlooked. What What do you suggest? Yeah, I, I, I agree because different professional, I mean, we do it so often so we can take a quick lens and know what's normal, what's not normal, know what's bothersome, what may not be bothersome. But at the same time, I think we should do a better job on our side when we see patients, we describe what we see. Hey, today, everything looks normal. I don't see any bumps. I don't see anything like that. Because when you see that, sometimes they're like, oh, I had a bump there. What do you think that is? And sometimes, don't get me wrong, there can be some extra tissue from either very tight-fitting clothing, and there's a little bit of swelling that usually goes away. Or, for example, you fell, and there's like some fat that look, that got necrotic, and then that will usually heal by itself. And those are bumpy things, Right. Or you shave, and then there's a bump from, you know, the, the hair follicle getting infected. And it's sometimes we on our side should probably tell patients what looks normal, what's not normal. And, hey, I'm doing an internal exam. The vagina looks normal. I don't see anything concerning. Your cervix looks fine, right? Then patients will know, oh, okay, I guess now I'm normal. And when they feel something different, then they'd be more, they'd be more educated about it, you know. But not everybody does that because it's awkward. You have to have a special way of doing it. For, for patients that I feel uncomfortable about it. Okay, that's really good advice to um, kind of have a, a ground zero right. with your right. doctor. And mm-hmm. then if anything changes, then you should be concerned. Exactly. Okay. Um, let's see, is sex while on my period okay? Can that cause an infection? Sex is okay, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's more of a comfort level and sometimes it's a religious thing, you know, and whatever you guys are comfortable with, I think that's what you guys should do. Um, some women, when they have their period, they bleed so heavy, they are uncomfortable with it because of pain. And sometimes with intercourse, that can irritate the cervix, make your cramping more, you know, so it's a person to person basis. Okay. So sex at any time for me, it's okay. That's what I recommend. We, we hope no men are listening to this episode. <laughs> Next question. Is painful sex okay? Why is it painful? And what can I do to be more comfortable? What pains should concern me? Correct. So sex can be uncomfortable sometimes, but not painful. Because when you say painful, it's different, right? So um, first, sexual relationship can be a little bit 
different, right? And it can be like, mm, I'm not used to it. It's uncomfortable. So it's more of a learning curve as things happen, as things go on. You shall see a progression, right? Sometimes some women have dryness. So of course, penetration will be uncomfortable. You will usually recommend lubricant, usually on the male penis, and usually that will help. That will make more make it more comfortable, right? But if every time you have sex with your partner and you have pain, that's not normal. There's a lot of reasons why. Sometimes women have, some women have you touch your vagina and they get a lot of contraction, which can make sex difficult. Sometimes your muscle can be very tense, making sex very difficult. Some women have endometriosis, which is a painful period kind of syndrome, which makes it very difficult. Sometimes some women have, you know, vaginal dryness from menopause, which can make sex difficult as well. Or there's an anatomy problem, you know? So sex should never be painful. It, should, it can be uncomfortable, but not painful. You should see a, a physician. Do you get a lot of complaints about painful sex? Do you, is it like a normal concern? A lot of complaints. And it can be because of, uh, I mean, it can be because uh, anatomy problem. And sometimes you have to tell patient, try that position instead. That position is not for you, right? Or it can be either because um, somebody has a different partner and, you know, people are different and that can cause some more issues. And that's when you talk about more lubricant. There are actually sexual behavioral therapists who are people that if you're having an issue with sex, they can sit with you and your partner, discuss things with you and go over what will be beneficial to have a healthy sexual lifestyle. So there's a lot you can do. Yeah, I thought that like for a second, it sounded like your gynecologist could be your sexual (laughs) counselor. (laughs) Are those services that gynecologists provide? Yes, we do. (laughs) We do. But sometimes... Um, based on the reason why, you may have to dive deeper. And that's why now that field is more advanced because women are more of their bodies. You know, we talk more about things. And and I think it's very important because back in the day, women used to be like, it hurts. I guess that's how it is. No big deal. But now it's more, it doesn't have to hurt. There are things we can do. So um, again, about sex a little bit, <laughs> when it's appropriate and not, what about during pregnancy? And are there any positions that should be rolled out during pregnancy? Well, when your doctor tells you not to have sex when you're pregnant, you should not. Because there are reasons why sometimes when you have sex when you're pregnant, it can be life-threatening to you and to your baby. For example, if you have an abnormal placenta, you should not be having any intercourse. It doesn't matter the position because you can bleed, right? If, for example, you have a cervical problem, which can cause to go into labor early, don't have sex. You can bleed, right? Um, But in most cases, it's based on the patient and partner preference and comfort, right? Um, And we don't, there's not really any guideline to say how to have sex when you're pregnant. It's just make sure you don't cause any trauma to the abdomen, (laughs) you know, by laying on it or certain things. But other than that, it's whichever way you want, except if we tell you not to, if you're bleeding, Wait a week before you have sex, you know, because then those are, can be signs of labor or something else changing. So, Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. So another sex question. This one's a little bit um, a deeper dive. So I'm mm-hmm. never in the mood anymore. Why is my libido so low? What can I do mm-hmm. to increase it? Can I get it back? And are there mm-hmm. any sexual pleasure enhancement procedures that you 
perform or recommend for a person that's having this problem? Yeah, so, um, you know, with decreasing libido, decreasing sexual, sexual drive, I mean, unfortunately, there are many reasons why it may happen, right? Um, for example, like if a woman has pain all the time, of course, she's actually going to have a low libido because sex equals pain. So we need to work on the pain aspect first before it can make sex pleasurable before she can want to have it, right? That's one aspect, right? Aspect two, sometimes women get busy. Nowadays, I'm not going to lie, women are doing a lot of different stuff all the time and you're thinking all the time and sex is the last thing on your list. Are you going to have a high sexual drive if you didn't have it from the beginning? Probably not, you know? I have this on my patient, schedule sex. I know people say it's boring, but put an alarm. When the time comes, you stop everything so you can actually enjoy that intimacy moment, right? Because you are going so much, you can barely stop sometimes, and that can affect your libido. Sometimes some women have some physiologic issues going on, you know, either a hormonal problem or some things in their life, a disease that is affecting their drive, and those have to be fixed first before we think about doing something else, right? Um. So there's more going on to it. And there's medication that are recommended sometimes to increase that. But the Association of OBGYN Gynecologists doesn't recommend any enhancement procedures. So I will not, you know, discuss anything that's not recommended by them um, from that standpoint. But there's more to it. And there's a lot that needs to be discussed so we can figure out how to help those women. It's so interesting because it's so trendy on TV, like reality TV shows now. They um, talk so much about different procedures that, you know, Mm -hmm. seem to be the new thing. And I guess the key is that everything that you see isn't necessarily like FDA approved or isn't recommended, right? Some things Mm -hmm. can just be kind of like a trendy gimmick um, in order for a place to make some extra revenue. Correct. Sorry, sorry. But from the first time doing this, it's like, there's not a magic pill. It's a combination of multiple factors. There's something that can help, but there's more work that always needs to be done. You know, there's, there's no magic pill yet. If there is, I would have, I would have promoted, say it, go for it. But as of now, studies are limited and there's, there's nothing that you take today and you're going to be like a sexual extremist person. No, not yet. I wish it was, but no. So it's, um, have you heard of the Yanni steam? Yes. All right, what do you think about that? Uh, let me Just give me your opinion on that. <laughs> oh my goodness. You guys are putting me on the spot. Um, like I said before, <laughs> I mean, there is nothing proven, you know? Right. Nothing proven. I wish there was. Sometimes there's a placebo effect. Don't get me wrong. You're taking this. You're doing this. Because you're doing this, you feel things more because you pay attention to it more. You, you take time to do it more. But there's no evidence. And Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Nothing can turn you into like a sexual beast all of a sudden. I'm I wish there was, right. you know. I would stop working and just do that all day. <laughs> <laughs> because it would be so easy. But no. Sorry. You would give that, that's the procedure that you would do all day. Just here we go. I'm going to sell this. You'd be so rich. I know. I wouldn't work hard anymore. So the next question is Tanika's. Yes. 
what is the most recommended birth control and do women in their 40s and beyond even need to worry about birth control? Right. So birth control, there's all the different types. And I always say, you know, there um, it's up to the patient need and patient desire. For example, younger women, I usually recommend long-acting birth control because sometimes they will forget to take their pill. And once you forget, you're at higher risk of getting pregnant, right? Um, somebody that will take be able to take a pill every day, I mean, they're perfect for birth control pills. With good use, most birth control are very effective. I'm talking about hormonal birth control, like the pill, the shot. The one that goes in the arm called Nexplanon, the IUD, the vaginal ring or the patch, right? Other type of birth control, like condom is the only one obviously that protects against sexually transmitted diseases. Um, but anything like sometimes women use a sponge to prevent sperm from going to the uterus or they use a cervical cap. Sometimes they use, um, you know, spermicide. Those usually, they are not very effective, so those I will not that will not be my first line of recommendation unless these women are using something different. Um, women can get pregnant at any age, <laughs> so in your forties, don't think you're not fertile. I've delivered forty-two year olds, forty-five year old would think they were done with their fertility, and they have oops, I guess it happened again. They're like, yes, you're fertile. So every woman is different and you should always, unless you reach menopause, which is a year without a period, I think you should be careful. We will. Know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we get our boots. <laughs> Very nervous. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say that, but you know, I've had so many oops and I'm like, I told you, be careful. I definitely don't want an oops. Um, so the next question is also about birth control and it's, is my IUD making me gain weight? Um, so no evidence has shown with the IUD that you will gain weight from it because technically there's two types of IUD, one that has hormone, one without hormone, right? The one without hormone really, mm, not really a big factor, right? But the one with hormone, technically the, the hormones are supposed to stay on the inside of the uterus, creating an environment that is not welcoming for a baby. Technically, it shouldn't go through your bloodstream, but every patient is so different. Some women may be more sensitive and they may have some more reactions. So the evidence doesn't say it, but have patients reported it and they take the IUD out and things get better? Yes, but there's no way for me to see 100%, except it's anecdotal in a sense. Okay. Well, it's good to know, but no. taking your IUD out is a very bad alternative because then... You'll you get know, like, because you get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like wait with an IUD or wait from pregnancy. Which one would exactly. you want? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am very concerned, and this is not my question. It happens that it's on my question in the list, but it's not my question. <laughs> but I'm very concerned about experiencing menopause. What should I expect? And are there any tips for making all of the symptoms more tolerable? Are there any supplements or vitamins that I can take? Any foods I should be eating to make it easier? Yeah. I mean, menopause, it's like when a woman first had their period, they're distraught, right? It's like, what is this? Why am I bleeding? What is going on? Why do I smell? Why is my boob growing? Like, you know, it's, it's a whole learning curve. Now, all of a sudden, you go to another stage, 
I'm hot. We're like, what? You know, and my vagina's dry. All of a sudden, I'm storing more fat. What is going on? You know, it's that other phase that can be really difficult, really hard for women. I always recommend the, there's a North American menopause society, believe it or not, and they have excellent information, you know, um, and they help women understanding why they end up having those symptoms, you know, things that you can be using over the counter to help with, especially hot flashes, vaginal dryness, or to understand your, because your metabolic state changes as you reach menopause, right? Because you will, your body wants to store everything that can give you the estrogen because there's a lack of it. Um, and that's why we tend to have more fat and it's hard to lose weight when a woman reach menopause, you have to work harder. Um, and it also goes over, you know, things to eat, you know, because, um, those sometimes can make a difference. It's like menopause. It's one of those things we can write a book about it. Um, and that website has a guide for women based on what they're going through. They can always go over it, but menopause it's, I mean, a lot of women are going through menopause and they come crying. They're like, I don't understand. I have mood swings. Why? I'm always normal. And I'm like, yeah, girl, you're getting to menopause. So we can, we can help. No big deal. So. so I have two follow-ups. One is how early can you go into menopause? And then the second one is I always think um, like if you have an IUD and you keep it in that maybe you won't experience menopause as much because like you're, you, you won't experience like any changes. I don't know. I just think, you know, like if, if you're not getting your period anyway, so you're probably not going to miss it. So like the psychological aspect, you know, of like, oh no, I'm, I'm starting to miss my period. My body's changing and maybe that makes it a little bit worse. So I want to know if that's maybe a trick keeping an yes. IUD in until you're like 60 and then you won't feel that you went through menopause. Yeah. So um, anytime a woman goes to menopause before age 40, it's not normal. It's called premature ovarian failure because menopause has to do with the ovaries, right? They're not working like they're supposed to. And that's why you don't end up having a period anymore because your body thinks it's in that state where it doesn't need to do anything, right? Anytime you have menopause before age 40, that's not normal. Meaning a year without a period, you should see a physician because there may be other reasons why, right? But anytime, like average age for any woman is 52, right? So around 52, most women, that's average. So some women get it earlier or later. They Sometimes there's that joke, like that um, midwife's tale that says, most women follow their mothers, right? If your mom had menopause around age 50, you will tend to have the same. But there's no study, there's no evidence about it, but that's something we sometimes tell patients to help guide them. Um, so that's for that part of the question. So even if you keep your IUD in, <laughs> even if you don't have a period, when your ovaries don't work as well, you won't feel it. I'm sorry. I don't mean to burst your bubble. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but, you know, sometimes, just like you said, you're like, I never had it. I never miss it. You know, this is so I'm fine. But, Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And different women are different. I had women in their 60s never had any symptoms. Like, but they're in menopause, right? But they never feel it. Now some women, they are they've been in menopause for 10 years, and at the 11th year, they're like dying. They're like, I want something. I can't do this. I can't do that. So everybody's different. And that's why, you know, you have your physician to help you navigate through it. And what can you take? What do you the woman that wants something, what do you give them? And how much does it help? 
so I know, right? Um, there is a lot that come into play. You can, sorry, I'm very complex. And I think about more than just giving you a pill. Um, like it depends on the risk factors of the woman, right? Sometimes in some women, you will do more like, um, you know, diet, exercising, thin layer clothing, you know, all those different things based on their risk factors, right? If a woman has breast cancer, I'm mostly not going to put you in hormonal therapy, right? If sometimes you have some, you know, some risk factors for heart disease, I'm not going to put you on those pills because that can make it worse. That can cause strokes, right? So there's a, there's a lot that we assess before we start women on medication. In a woman that's perfectly healthy, no issue, usually we recommend hormonal replacement therapy. And there's a list that is approved that we usually go over, go over with patients, tell them the risks and the benefits and what to watch for. Um, and, you know, that's, that, that's most likely a discussion most of the time. What about sweet potatoes? I heard you can eat sweet potatoes and it, it eases. I know. <laughs> I know. Sometimes, you know, your diet helps and um, it may, you may not. So it's, it's, it's so frustrating. I wish there was something I can tell you can take that will help, but everybody's different, you know? Sometimes it helps. Some women said, I take my black cohosh or I take my kava or I take my turmeric and I promise all my symptoms are gone. And I'm like, awesome. The other patient said, I take it, nothing happens. Right. So. Wow. I, I wish we would have done the menopause questions before the sex questions. Cause I feel like we ended like on a, on a sad note and I don't Whoa. want menopause to be sad. No, menopause is not sad. Menopause is a beautiful thing. It's a different stage in our lives, you know, and in a culture that always talk about, you know, youth and this, but I mean, aging is beautiful, you know, and I'm not going to lie to you. Recently, I've seen some of my patients and I look at them, I'm like, man, these women have so much wisdom, you know, and we talk, we always talk about their stories and what they've been through. And, and I think it's a beautiful thing and we should cherish the changes in our life. Like we're happy when a baby's born, you know, and have a period. And then now I'm like in my thirties and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting old. No, you're not old. Just forget about it. You know, and you're in your sixties and you're like, hey, I've lived and I'm doing good, you know? So. Yeah. And yeah. you could probably also aspire to like, you know, I guess we all aspire to age in a healthy way, but probably the healthier you are, the more active you are, the healthier you eat, the better experience you're going to have around that time when your body's just naturally changing. Correct. Correct. And change is part of life and it's okay. And once we know it's okay, like, for example, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting older. Like, I'm okay, I'm not that old, right? But I'm like, what is going on? I mean, I have to put more cream under my eye. Like, I have to dye my hair a little bit so my face looks a certain way. And I'm like, but it's okay, right? It's okay. It's okay. Absolutely. Actually, I do have another question, um, and it is not about menopause. It is about the big O. So for orgasms, um, is this something that fully is the responsibility of your partner? Is it your responsibility? Like who is supposed to, who bears the brunt? I know this is tough, right? Because it's, it's not a you thing or me thing. It's a both of us thing, right? right. And I mean, Okay, I'm not a sexual behavioral therapist, right? But I talk to women enough to say I can talk about sex um, in a recommended fashion, right? 
And there's no book that says certain things, except sometimes some personal growth book that discusses kind of stuff, right? But, okay, the sexual act is supposed to be into in between people or in between, I mean, in between, you know, these individuals, that's how I can say it. And they responsible <laughs> for each other pleasure, right? And I realized as women grow into their relationship, into their intimacy, um, they should both be responsible. The Like both individuals should be responsible to please one another. So you can't say you didn't give me an orgasm. I can't be with you. I mean, sometimes some people have some issues, right? Right? Some men may have some erectile function. Some women may have some issues in their vagina, making it difficult. That's why I highly recommend sexual behavioral therapists. And it's a learning process. You can be frustrated. You try the first time, it work. Try again. Try different ways, you know, and learn different things. And it's okay when women, I mean, when individuals are together to experiment in a certain way, you know, and... Um, I can be very personal. That's two TMI, right? I'm one of those women. I'm like, no, I will never have sex. I'm going to wait till I get married to have sex. And I was like, mm, I don't know, you know? And it's one of those things I'm like, now I'm older, I'm married. And it's like, yeah, we can, it's, you know, I learned more. But before I was like, oh, this is gross. What are they doing, right? But <laughs> and it's not your husband's job only. It's not your job only. And you have to communicate too, right? Communicate what you want. You can't expect someone to just know it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I said sometimes you just have to learn together and figure it out. Well, it was much better to end on the O note (laughs) than to end on the menopause note. So thank you so much, Tanika. This was amazing. And I do feel like I learned so much. For I mean, the questions were some a little bit general, but you know, you never spend forty something minutes talking to your gynecologist. So I do. I feel like it was an, an amazing experience, and I did come back with some, or I'm leaving with some wisdom that I didn't have. So thank you. Thank Me you. Me too. Yeah. This has been amazing. I mean. First of all, the fact that you just have all of this knowledge in your head at all times is completely amazing to me. <laughs> Can I tell you something, people? Okay, I'm not downplaying this, right? But people think we're so smart. Think about it, right? I wake up every day. Guess what I do every single day for the past seven years? That's all I do every day. <laughs> That's all I think of, except when I'm off. But even then, my brain keeps going. It doesn't stop. So it becomes that. For example, somebody that can build a house, right? The more houses they build, the faster it gets, right? It's the same thing. I talk about this every day of my life, right? I mean, for the past seven years, right? So it's one of those things that I know. I'm, thank you. Thank you, Tanika. That's what I meant. But it's just one of those things like the more you do it, the more you see it, the more it becomes what you do, right? What you think of. Yeah. Yeah. And so important because it's important for us to get comfortable with our bodies and it's important to seek care. You know, it's important to get your mammogram. We didn't talk about your mammograms. It's important to go to your gynecologist and do your pap smear and to communicate with your physician and ask questions if you are uncertain. And it might be nothing, but there might be something. So just make sure that you take some time to ask. Absolutely. I get my annual too every year. So doctors are not usually the rest patient. I go to my OBGYN every year and she thinks I'm crazy. She said, what you got to tell me? I said, nothing. 
but you got to check. He's like, okay. Because <laughs> it would be pretty impossible to check your own Susie. I don't know who oh, would be. I don't want to either. <laughs> because it's like, I can't see anything. No. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's end on that note. Should you look at it? Is Should you just be looking in general? Should you get Can the mirror you? and the leg up and, uh, you know. I think you should. The reason why, because you, like your breasts, right? You're the one that lives with it every day. You should always do your breast exam, right? Every month. And I'm not going to lie to you. Patients have detected lumps on their breasts before I do. Because I see them only once a year. And once, I'm telling you, 90, 99% of the time, when patients say something's wrong, it tends to be wrong, right? Okay. And once we investigate, we find things. And I'm not saying, like, go in, dig in, find things, like, put a camera in. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm saying. But if you feel something's different, something may be different. Right. So I think you should look at it. I mean, I don't look at one, but I think you should, right? I don't know how, because I think it's awkward. I don't know how. You get it's a mirror, and you, look, and you look down there. But you should, you know, like, you're not going to be able to... Pick it in a lineup like your nose, but you should yeah. at least be able to recognize that that's yours when, if it's in a lineup, you should know what it looks like a little bit. You shouldn't be completely surprised. So I think, yeah. and I'm not a doctor, you should look at it at least quarterly, you know, four times a year. <laughs> <laughs> I like how she does it. But when you look at it, when you look a certain way and it doesn't look like what you see on TV, doesn't mean yours are abnormal necessarily. Because everybody is different, right? Some women, their labia may be, and when, I'm, when I talk about the labia, the no, normal term for it is like the lips of the vagina. Some is longer, some is shorter. But that doesn't mean you need surgery to fix it. You know, it's like, it looks, everybody looks different. Yeah, but you should know you should know what it looks like and you should look sooner rather than later because it's not all that pretty. So the longer that you take... <laughs> To look at it, the worse that it's going to get. So get a mirror, ladies, and start taking a look at what that looks like so that you could recognize it. We have taken such a deep and meaningful dive into the vagina and all of her issues. I, I love it. I love this episode. One of my favorites, absolutely my favorite guest, period, hands down. We really appreciate you coming. We thank everybody for listening. Um, you know, continue to send us your questions. Your questions made this episode so great. So we just really want to say thank you for that. Um, Marianne, do you have any last words? I just think it was such a good time with Dr. Danister. And thank you for taking the time to come out and answer our questions and to answer honestly, because that's what, you know, women need to have some honest conversations with doctors and to not be scared to ask some of these tough and silly questions. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was fun. And I may be saying things sometimes that may be taken a different way, you know, while we're talking, it's like, I talk to you guys, like, like I will be talking to my patient, you know, and that's usually how I explain things to them. And if anything, if any questions, just let me know. But thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This was not your mama's drama. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.